And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here uh, this morning, as uh, many of you, I'm sure, are somewhat disappointed that Tom's not here in the pulpit. Big shoes to fill, and uh, for, for me not being Tom, I apologize. Uh, but I will say this, even before I jump in, listen, like Rio, I, I've, been, I've been worshiping here now uh, about seven, eight weeks or so, and, and you guys are blessed with an amazing pastoral team. Uh, and, and not to the glory of those men, but to the glory of God for the work of the kingdom uh, that is being done through uh, Rio. It's an exciting thing, and, and so I'm, I'm privileged to be here this morning uh, and uh, preaching the word. As Will mentioned uh, earlier, my name is Dave Richardson. Uh, I'm an ordained pastor in the PCA, so member of the South Florida Presbytery. I actually grew up here in South Florida. Uh, graduated from Knox Seminary back in 2009, uh, spent five years or so in Stewart, Florida uh, as a pastor of uh, a church there, and then moved back down uh, to Fort Lauderdale about three years ago. And, and so now actually in a bivocational setting with my nine to five in the business world and then serving the church pastorally uh, in a variety of ways. Um, I'm married uh, 11 years. Sorry, ladies. No, just that's awkward. That's so awkward. I didn't even say I didn't say that in the first service. Um, I don't. Uh, all right, so I'm married 11 years. Uh, my beautiful wife Christy. We have three kids: uh, Noel, Reese, Roddy, and uh, so feeling very blessed uh, this Father's Day. Excited to be bringing the word. But enough about me. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do with the ninth commandment. So let me start by asking a question, and this is a rhetorical question. Please don't blurt out your answers. Um, when you hear the phrase fake news, what comes to mind? Well, if you live uh, under a rock, perhaps you haven't heard of it, but most of us, I'm sure, are aware this fake news phenomenon has inundated your Twitter feeds, your, your, your blog posts, your journal articles, your news channels, whatever. I mean, it is everywhere. And of course, this, this fake news phenomenon has been, uh, I guess, just exploded when President Donald Trump uh, accused the mainstream media of pushing fake news. 
uh, during a press conference he had in January 2017. And then from there, uh, I, I think he's mentioned it on Twitter a few times. I don't know if, if you follow him on Twitter, but at least once or twice he's mentioned the whole fake news situation. Uh, but accusing the mainstream media of, of communicating and propagating lies and making statements and telling stories that just aren't true. And what's interesting is that President Trump isn't alone uh, in this accusation. Actually, according to a recent poll, 77% of Americans believe that major news channels don't, uh, or, or that major news channels report falsehoods. 77%. And while this fake news phenomenon is kind of center stage now for uh, the last year or so, this idea of slur campaigns and falsehoods and lies is not a new concept. Uh, interesting enough, I was reading an article from back in 1992. Okay, now keep in mind, this is before smartphones, uh, before Twitter, uh, before social media. I mean, I was still wearing diapers. Now, I was 11, so I had graduated to uh, pull-ups by that time. But 1992, an article in Time magazine uh, reported that 75% of Americans believe that there is a higher level of dishonesty present, not with mainstream media, but a higher level of dishonesty in government officials than ever before. And so here's my point. A common theme throughout the history of mankind is fake news. It's lies, dishonesty, deceit, and listen, it's not just a problem with, with government officials. It's not just a problem with mainstream media. It's a humanity problem. It's a you and me problem. Right? It's in our homes. It's at our workplaces. It's in our families. We have a problem with honesty. Case in point, uh, I walked into the mudroom in my house, which is where we keep our dog food, and, and my then three-year-old son uh, was in there with the dog food container open, a dog scooper in his hand, a dog bowl empty, and dog food spread across the floor. And I, I walk in, and I'm like, Roddy, what happened? I mean, did, did you make a mess? And, and literally, he's lifting the scooper with more dog food, and as he's pouring it out on the floor, looks at me and says, no, Reese did it. <laughs> I mean, the, the kid with, with the dog food scooper in hand bears false witness against his sister, and he's three. Listen, it starts young, and we only get more sophisticated with time. And I don't have to convince anyone in here, but lying, dishonesty, not telling the truth is a problem. And the kicker is, on one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying as a problem, but on the other hand, nearly everyone is doing it every day. See, we all want people to tell the truth, right? We want people to come clean with us, to shoot it straight, but somehow we are justifying our failure to do the same for others. Nonetheless, there is no healthy relationship, no healthy society, no healthy business that can be built on lies. Truth and trust are absolutely essential, foundational to human flourishing. And so it's no wonder that we see God addressing this in the Ten Commandments. Right, we've seen throughout this sermon series from bondage to freedom, the Ten Commandments is really a picture of a just life. 
right? A, a, a summary of God's will for humanity and how true relationship was created to be before it was distorted by sin, right? The commands give us this path to life, life in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. We see in Commandments 1 through 4, God's great concern about His own name and worship and how true freedom is found in Him as we pursue and relate to Him according to His design. And then in Commandments 5 through 10, we see God's concern for right relationship with one another. From the most fundamental relationship of mother, father, child in Commandment 5 to the protecting and promoting of life and marriage and generosity in commandments 6, 7, and 8. And this morning, we come to the ninth commandment with God's great concern for protecting truth and promoting our neighbor's name. So protecting truth and promoting our neighbor's name. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And to help us navigate uh, the commandment this morning, I want us to consider three things, and this will serve as our outline this morning. The first is the context of the ninth commandment, the context of the commandment. The second thing is the requirement of the commandment, and then the third thing is the implication of the commandment on our lives. All right, so context, requirement, and implication. Uh, Let's get to work, jump in the context of the command. Now, if you're like me, uh, having grown up in church, uh, when you think of the commandments, when you think of the ninth commandment, all the commandments in general, you think in flannel graph terms, okay? And so you're probably thinking something like this as to how to navigate through the Ten Commandments. And if you scroll down to the very bottom, uh, we see number nine, never tell a lie, right? Which, which basically, uh, that's what my impression of this commandment is, right? Don't lie. And while lying is certainly forbidden in the ninth commandment, it's so important to understand that the command is talking about so much more than just not lying. And see, the only way we actually can understand it is by considering the context of this command. So the context, the immediate concern of the ninth commandment is legal testimony of a witness in the court of law. Legal testimony of a witness in a court of law. So think ancient Israel judicial matters, right? A witness appearing to falsely testify against his neighbor in the ancient Israel court of law. We call it perjury today. But see, the the judicial system of ancient Israel was a lot different than what we have today. Uh, Not nearly as complicated. Uh, There are no courtrooms, there are no lawyers, there is no jury duty. Which I know for us, I mean, listen, we get the notice of jury duty in the mail and, and immediately it's, you're trying to figure out, okay, like, what, do I qualify for any exemptions? I mean, that's the first question we usually ask. And we're scrolling through that like, no, actually, I'd have to lie. And so it kind of defeats the ninth commandment. So you can't qualify for exemptions. Then you have to call the night before, uh, before to see if you actually have to go in the next morning. And, and then at that point, you might or might not get selected as a juror. And then if you do get selected, you live in a cocoon, right? Isolated from the rest of the world for however long that case and that trial goes on for. So it's, it's, it's complicated. And the point is, is that that was not the case in the legal system of ancient Israel. It wasn't in a courthouse. You weren't isolated and in a cocoon. 
court cases were heard every day at the city gate by elders of a particular city who together acted essentially as a jury. It was a, it was a part of everyday life. Uh, perhaps it'll be helpful to think of the story of Ruth and Boaz uh, in the Old Testament, right? Where Boaz meets Ruth in his field as she's gleaning. He learns her story. He falls in love and he was determined to be her kinsman redeemer, right? But if you, if you remember the story, Boaz found out that there was a nearer kinsman and that that kinsman had the legal right and obligation to redeem Ruth. So what does Boaz do? Well, you look in, in Ruth chapter four, verse one. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And then he took the ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And so the elders heard the case, and it was determined that Boaz was able to redeem Ruth as his new bride. And that's largely how judicial matters were resolved. It was a part of everyday life. Justice was administered every day at the city gate. There were no lawyers, there were no polygraphs, no, no fingerprints issued as evidence, and everything could depend on what the witnesses said. Right? I mean, just think about it. And in that context, a witness, depending on the situation, could hold decisive sway over life and death. And God's law, safeguarding justice, takes very serious speaking the truth. In fact, actually Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 15 through 21 elaborates on the ninth commandment. And, and, and while I won't read the entire thing, what it says is there, there has to be multiple witnesses to even bring a charge against someone because we have such a tendency towards dishonesty. And that anyone found guilty of bringing false testimony against a neighbor was to be inflicted with the same punishment that the false witness hoped to inflict on the neighbor. Okay, so, so in this context, understanding the harm that can come from false testimony and the seriousness with which justice is to be safeguarded, and then the fact that the speaking for or speaking against your neighbor is part of everyday life at the city center. See, what we're meant to see is that this command is addressing more than just lying, right? It's aiming so much more broadly at our speech and, and actually calling attention to the destructive power that our words can have. And how, how truthfulness, as opposed to falsehood, must be pursued in our speech. Okay, so that's, that's the context of this ninth command. So what then is the requirement? I mean, what does this command require of us? And I love the, the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, it spells out the requirements of the ninth commandment uh, in an accessible way. So I want to read it for you. Uh, the question is, what is required in the ninth commandment? Answer, I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth speak and confess it honestly. 
and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Wow. That just, that got, that got real, that got heavy. Right, so all, all lying and deceit, twisting words, gossip, slander, condemning rashly, sins of the tongue, speaking against your neighbor is condemned. But not only that, but we must be a people that pursues truth, confesses, and do what we can to defend and promote and honor and speak for, not against our neighbor. Does anyone watch the Bravo reality TV show, Southern Charm? It's a tough transition, so I just... Does anyone know? Is there any, I mean, you can raise your hands on this one. Anyone know? That's, am I the only one? I'm just, I actually don't watch it either. I don't even know what channel it's on. Um, okay, but it's a reality TV show, uh, fairly well-to-do youngish adults who live in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, they're supposed to be good old Southern folk. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, for some reason I actually really enjoy the show. Anyways, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, as I was beginning to prepare uh, for the sermon, an episode came on, uh, and what has become the standard for these types of shows? Uh, a dramatic scene of an all-out verbal assault between two of the casts. Well, well, with one of them just saying some of the most disgusting things you could say to another human being, trying to tear them down to nothing, throwing grenade after grenade, trying to blow the whole thing up. And then it moves from that scene into the individual interviews, where it actually then gives everyone an opportunity to chime in, to gossip, to slander, to talk against the other. And see, and tragically... That show and, and the various ones out there like it characterize our reality in so many ways. Does it not? Lying, gossip, slander, speaking against. As one author puts it, in our digital age of pervasive punditry, instant analysis, and perpetual outrage, surely the breach of the ninth commandment is one of our besetting sins. See, these sins, sins of the tongue, are indeed some of our besetting sins, meaning that they are pervasive in our lives. And you know what? Really hard to guard against. Because what makes, it, makes them so dangerous is we generally tolerate and accept it in our lives. Right? We, we aren't really fighting against it in any way. We just accept it as, as the way that we communicate. But the ninth commandment speaks against all all of it. From, from twisting someone's words to make it sound more favorable for you and to prove your point. Guilty. To, to the gossip and spreading of unfavorable, destructive information about someone else, even if that information is true. To the slander. The, the word slander literally means speaking against and again, not necessarily a false report, just an against report with the intent, and that's important because it's always a matter of the heart, with the intent to belittle someone else, to pour out contempt, to mock, to hurt, to destroy, and even rejoice or take pleasure in the purported evil. We, we tolerate these things. And you know what? We, just, we write it off as just speaking what's on our mind. Being real. Trying to be honest. 
But listen, you can be speaking your mind and being real, but being a gossiping completely slanderous. So you hear a bad report about someone and rather than humbly evaluating the information and deliberately seeking out truth and speaking that truth in love, which is what we should be doing all the time. Instead, we hear the bad report and we rashly and harshly condemn and then we talk about it with our friends. And what about, what about those pressure-packed situations at work? Right, trying to gain an advantage. We're, we're quicker to cut a corner and to exaggerate the truth than we are to speak candidly and confess honestly. And, and not to mention, in all those situations and circumstances, we do very little of actually defending and promoting our neighbor's honor and reputation. But see, that is what the ninth commandment requires. So, what do we do? Right? I mean, what are the implications? I mean, we know what we should and shouldn't do. We have the list right there. We just went over it. But what resource do we have to fight against it? I mean, how do we avoid or turn away from something so subtle and elusive in our lives? Because let's be honest, lying, gossip, other sins of the tongue, they come really easy for us. It's not hard to find ourselves there. And you know, in certain situations, it's almost irresistible. And actually, Proverbs 18 picks up on that. And it reads, the words of a whisperer, or it could be translated, the words of a gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Listen, because the sinful heart is driven by self-justification. And we're, we're constantly striving for self-redemption and, and self-preservation. We, we so easily lie in an attempt to, to keep the control of our lives in our own hands. And we, we gossip and slander to elevate the opinion of ourselves over and above the other. And listen, while we tolerate these things, we generally think that they're not so bad. But hear this. And this is one of the things that just convicted me over and over as I was preparing uh, for this sermon, is that these sins nailed Jesus to the cross. The sins of my tongue nailed our Savior to the cross. Listen, there's, this is no minor thing. The Apostle Paul actually picks up on it in Romans chapter 1. Uh, he gives this long list of sins of people who have been turned over to the lust of their hearts. Do you remember that passage? Uh, having exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the, crea- uh, the creator. And listen, deceit, gossip, and slander are all named among them. We are guilty. We have sinned against holy Almighty God. And, and, and hear this. We, with our own resources, in our own strength, don't have the power to loosen these chains in our hearts. And see, that's, that's where this commandment, and, and ultimately where all of God's law drives us. See, one of the reasons God gave us the law was so that it might act as a mirror. And we could rightly see ourselves and our sin. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, recognize our desperate need for the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please understand, the implication of the commandment is not first, okay, uh, give me my list of do's and don'ts, what I can and can't say, uh, what I need to do, what I don't need to do. That can't be our first move. Now, that's not to say that, that we don't need to do everything we can to, to stop these sins of the tongue, to avoid them, right? To stop the deceit and the gossip and the slander in our lives. We must be doing that, but it can't be the first thing that we come to as an implication of this command. See, the implication of the command is first driving us to the life-giving message of Jesus, See, the reality that God, as holy, righteous, just judge of all things, He cannot accept us the way we are because we have sinned in our thoughts, in our deeds, and in our words. And because God is righteous and perfect, He cannot accept us the way we are. He must punish every sin we have ever committed or will ever commit. He cannot simply brush it under the rug and clear the guilty. And the punishment, the Bible tells us, is death. Eternal separation from God and all that is good. And listen, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. And if we stopped right there with our list of here's what you need to do for the ninth commandment, we'd be without hope. There'd be no hope for any of us, but it doesn't stop there. See, the good news of the gospel is that God is love, and in his love, he provided a substitute, someone to take the punishment for me. And God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, in the flesh to become man. And Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life and allowed himself, now get this, to be arrested without cause, led away toward a wrongful trial, convicted under slanderous, false accusations and lies. And he was hung on a cross. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross, God the Father, knowing all about me, took all of my sins, my lies, deceit, slander, and put them on Jesus. And punished Jesus in my place. So that Jesus took the wrath of God that I deserve. And Jesus died on that cross, but on the third day, after paying for all of my sins, he was raised from death to life, defeating sin and death, and now offering forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life with himself to those who trust in him to save them from their sins and eternal condemnation and save them into a new life lived with and for him. That is the gospel. And, and hear this promise and take heart, Christian. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who believe. Okay, so let your heart grab hold of this. That you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether we do this or say this or don't do this or don't say that. We are justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. And listen, your gossip, you are not with your own resource going to be able to fix it. These besetting sins of the tongue, you're not going to be able to fix it. 
because you don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ can. And that's the good news of the gospel. And see, his promise is that he who began that good work in you will bring it to completion. Right? He's, he's going to finish what he started. So keep pressing. Keep straining. Keep fighting. Don't just tolerate these sins of the tongue as part of your life. Don't give in. There's freedom to be found as you, as you guard your tongue. James 3 uh, actually tells us that if you guard your tongue, it has the power for you then to guard your heart. So be on your knees in prayer, fighting against these things in your life. Right? We, 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 when you come across a, or hear a bad report about someone, suspend your judgment. Right? Do the hard work of seeking the truth. And listen, some of that times that can be painful. It, it can be hard. But, but as you seek the truth, seek to speak it in love and remind yourself that if, if, if you, remind yourself that you don't know the heart and the full heart of the person who may have done the evil. And then remember your own frailty and sinfulness. Remind yourself that you are more than capable under the right set of circumstances to fall in the same exact way. So don't allow bad reports to go into the inner parts of your body as Proverbs 18 describes it. Right? Think, pray before you pass it along. And, and ask yourself these questions. If you're taking notes, uh, write these questions down because uh, I think they'll be helpful. Uh, as you think and as you pray, as you look towards what it looks like to seek truth, to, to pass this information along, ask yourself, what's the intent of my heart? Is, is what I'm saying constructive? Is this something that I should be talking to the person about directly? Or is this information something that the person wouldn't mind me sharing? Or even, is this the kind of thing I would want someone else to say about me? Church, rooted in the gospel, we can fight against these things in our lives. Right? We can truly be countercultural by being a group of people that is known as speaking for one another rather than speaking against one another. And listen, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts the next time you hear that bad report and how you respond and handle it. It starts in those moments where you're, you're clinging on to this identity of, of self-worth and affirmation and, and then you choose to spin the truth and to exaggerate the truth and to cut this corner and rather than trusting completely in the sovereign hand of God who is intimately involved in and caring for your life. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Let's be a people by the grace of God and for His glory who regularly speaks for our neighbor rather than against. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we uh, are thankful for who you are, for your word. Lord, it's convicting. Uh, we, we fall short of your glory. Lord, our, our tongues can be so destructive. And yet your word promises that, that as we can guard our tongues, we actually can guard our hearts. So Lord, continue to do that work in us through the power of your Holy Spirit that these truths might sit deeply into the fibers of our being and that we might live out in response to the beauty and the grace of the gospel message that says we are free in Christ. Lord, I pray too for anyone who is here this morning who, who may not know you as their Lord and as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would do the work of opening their eyes to see, opening their ears to hear the beauty of your gospel and respond in faith, giving you their hearts and their lives, crying out, saying, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I do fall short, but I know there is forgiveness in you. I pray that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we thank you and praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.